welcome to the How to Love the Shit Out of Life podcast. I'm your host, Sally Ann Hurley, and I'll be loving the shit out of a variety of topics with you. I hope each episode brings you insight, inspiration, and positive vibes. So let's get into it. So welcome to another episode of the How to Love the Shit Out of Life podcast. I'm very excited today because I am joined by Daniel Knorr, who is a journalist and writer. Daniel is a second generation migrant from Egypt and is very proud of his Egyptian heritage and roots, which is what we're here to talk about today. So welcome, Daniel. Oh, Sal, thanks for having me. That's okay. Are you going to talk a bit about your... Well, my situation. Your situation. Yes. I don't (laughs) often sound this husky. And um, I think I I don't really know what's technically wrong with me, but it may be a number of things. (laughs) I've always had a cold since childhood and and it looks that it's finally caught up with me. So you'll forgive me. Yes, he may be sucking on a lozenge. I may be sucking on a lozenge right now. You may hear it, but that's okay. We're all for authenticity on the podcast. This is it. Yes. Um, So I'm really excited to learn about your story and that of your family. So if you could start by telling us a bit about um, yourself and your family and how they came about to live in Australia. Hmm. Sal, my, and by the way, it's absolutely a delight to be here today. thank you. Um, I don't know if the listeners know this, but I'm in your beautiful home. It's pretty great. Gosh. Sal's studio. It could be Brooklyn. It could be. Or it could be Western Sydney. I am uh, the son of migrants. uh, And what that means for me is really having to do an enormous amount of research to figure out where I come from because no one tells me anything. (laughs) But what I've surmised in these 28 years is that my parents, and especially my dad, were forced out of Port Said, which is a coastal city on the Mediterranean, or in fact nearer to the Suez Canal, uh, on the east coast of Egypt in 1967. Both of my parents are Coptic Christian Egyptians, which is Uh, Well, they're the minority in a vastly Muslim population. And my dad lost his house to Israeli bombing in the War of Attrition in 1967. Wow. And I think that had some kind of a lasting effect Mm. on him, as it would. Yeah. My mum grew up, uh, as he did subsequently, in Cairo. In fact, her childhood, like his, was in kind of a village. Uh, I think it was... um, in a place closer to Alexandria, you know, that, you know, really exotic place. And then she also lived in Cairo. And then they both migrated here, like, in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. In fact, they married here in Sydney. Ah. Um, my mum moved across with her sister, my auntie Suhair, and dad moved with his entire family, his granddad, wow. his, or rather his mother, his father, and all of his um, brothers and sisters, or most of them, except an uncle who was in the army in Egypt. And then they married. They married in a Coptic church, an Orthodox church in Kensington. Mm. And um, I'm sure they had some kind of a delightful 70s (laughs) shindig afterwards with the flares and the whole thing and the puffy shirt and the whole thing. And and then they they had three kids over the years. And I came into the picture relatively late um, in 1990. So I'm the youngest of three and the only boy, which is really ideal. (laughs) 
That's the ideal <laughs> scenario. It's the ideal scenario. Especially in our culture because right. it, there's no, I mean, it, there's no affectation that boys are prized and valued mm-hmm. okay. more than girls. I think that's probably subsided a bit over the years, but mm. nonetheless, and I, I probably think it's true, in fact, of, of all cultures, that, uh, you know, a father mm. really wants a son on some level. It makes yeah. sense to me that that would be the case. And um, so I was always spoilt and indulged and still am, which really accounts for a lot. Yeah, it does explain a lot, if you know Daniel personally. Um, so obviously today we're talking all about, you know, embracing your roots and your heritage. And I would like to know how, by you doing that, how does that bring you joy and happiness? I'll just move my lozenge aside to the other yeah, side. Yeah, I just got a bit of mouth. a... <clears throat> it's contagious, well. what I have. What have you done? I might be leprosy. Who am I? <laughs> so... This is a great question that you've asked me. I am not, um, you know, some kind of <clears throat> ambassador for the Ministry of Culture or, you know... I mean, if Multicultural New South Wales wanted to give me a job, <laughs> I would not refuse it. No. But what I'm saying is that I can speak from my vantage point. Mm. So I'm very connected to the Egyptian society or rather the community here in, in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. And I've always written in my work about the crossroads of... Uh, Migrant, the migrant experience, and 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 then also some authentic idea of Australian uh, citizenship and what that looks like, which mm. is, I think, difficult to bed down because we're still a new country and migrants are forging a path that I think Anglo Australians traditionally haven't had to articulate in such an explicit no. way, which is that we're both mm. the children of the Commonwealth, as it were, you know, the daughter of the Commonwealth, this new country. But also we have, certainly in my case, this very strident, very sometimes, you know, excessive mm. set of cultural traditions. The way we celebrate weddings and birthdays and funerals and christenings is so, well, it's so deliberate. It's mm. like we do nothing by accident. And, and that's, uh, that's part, just the voice comes and goes, bear with me, but that's, <laughs> but that's part of being an Egyptian mm. Christian and that's part of bringing those set of traditions here. But what I would say, and this is something that I, um, I've seen in my experience, is that the people who are most comfortable with their roots are the ones who seem to be happiest. Yeah. And I don't think that's an accident. I think that takes also a certain level of humility. Mm. You've spoken about authenticity. I think yeah. it requires a certain level of authenticity. It's very difficult for someone who hates where they come from. Yeah to be, I think, a complete person. And also everyone can pick a phony. Mm. And in our community there is this perhaps slightly judgmental phenomena of someone who rejects their culture. Right. And you see that some people seem to be almost, I don't know, some somehow in denial about where is they come from. Is that quite common? Like have you seen that a fair bit? Or I see it a lot. Yeah. I'll just take a sip here of mine. That's some lovely. That's some lovely. <laughs> a lovely Bev. Um, but so, so I'm not, again, I don't want to, I, I don't want to cast judgment because everyone yes, has a different course. experience, but there are some people who make a point of saying, oh, I'm so resent being Egyptian, mm. for example. I so resent it. And if I ask, hey, you know, did you, um, did you see this new uh, soap opera on Egyptian TV? Because everyone has a dish. <laughs> we all have the dish, Sal. You're nothing if you don't have a dish. <laughs> you know, it's a whole thing. 900 channels. Um, NBC Arabic, oh. CBC, Rotana oh Cinema. Gosh, I feel like I'm missing out. Well, I think you are. 
and so, anyway, the, the ones who I say that to and then respond with this really kind of a def- defensive statement of rejection, you know, I'm not Egyptian, I'm not really that Egyptian. Mm. I'm not really that Egyptian. I don't mm. even speak the language. And almost celebrate their the fracture with their culture has always struck me as odd mm. and, and I, I, find, I find it difficult. Mm. That's all I'm saying. I would hope that you can be both and I think maybe this is something that we might be able to talk about is how can you reconcile the two, yeah. you know, how can you be, how can you have these, these roots and then also mm. have a sense of, of real authentic citizenship in a multicultural society, in, yeah. a, in a society that is not Egyptian, no. that doesn't have, um, yeah, that, that doesn't make you feel completely at home. Mm. Um, yeah, actually, we can talk about that now. If you, sure. If you have a... Well, I did bring it up. <laughs> um, mm. I mean, because the next question was around personally within you when you face challenges or you're going through a tough time, how does reflecting on your family's history and your culture help mm. or inspire you? Um, I'm guessing that the fact that you are so open to embracing it would just help anyway Mm. because you are being open and you're you're proud of who you are and probably as you said a lot happier because that's true but see that didn't happen by accident yeah and and in fact if you know i grew up in the shire in the sutherland shire which is uh you know very anglo part of sydney and uh is quite a homogenous ethnically homogenous they're all australian more Mm. or less except maybe like the maltese family down the street yeah (laughs) so uh well we saw each other often But Did po- you make eyes at each other just like, oh, I feel you, yeah, I, I know. get you, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, we both eat pasta, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the point is, yes, I, I do think that it takes work. It takes work. Mm. And, I, and I do think it serves you well. So, for example, I now am the president of something called the Australian Egyptian Youth Forum. Mm. And so this is a community organisation that we just, me and a group of friends who went on a trip to Egypt in January, yes. thought is kind of necessary mm. so in this trip which was paid for by the ministry of culture mm-hmm. or rather the ministry of immigration who you know who, whose job it is to think about egyptians abroad and inspiring a sense of patriotism well they paid for a group of 70 australian egyptian wow. youth to see all of the major sites mm. of egypt so the, the temple of philae and the pyramids uh, uh the higher institutes of like you know learning and mm. and, and all different politicians and military generals and and the thinking was well we'll take these kind of you know these foreigners Mm. and make them egyptian again Mm. and this is very important because i think it gave us uh you know a more a deeper sense of of what it was all about however i because i'm you know i I have to be an authentic person and i I have to be real Mm. and i don't i'm not here to celebrate all of the uh, elements of my parent culture as though it was blameless, mm. nor of the function of its government and say that Egypt is above reproach, which it is certainly not. Yeah. It is certainly not. But it doesn't do any good to feel obliged to kind of criticise at length from, I don't know, almost almost like a very decidedly Western standpoint, which is, it's, mm. it's the, you know, if it's not democracy, it's nothing. Yeah. The, my, my culture, it doesn't help me, it doesn't help them. Mm. It doesn't help my country. So, and I do see it as my parent culture and, and as my mother country, you know. Mm. But nonetheless, what this trip did, what, what I was trying to say was, mm. it, it helped me and all of those other ones, 
all those other those young people to, to think about how we can reconcile the two. So now every couple of months we have an event, you know, like for example, uh, Egyptian food night, and then we have this. As it happens, we have an Egyptian chef who was on Master Chef, a woman called yeah. Yosra Abul Fadl, come and cook us a delicious meal, and we all sat there and we mm. ate it. The the ambassador's wife came, oh, you know. Wow. They're, 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 it's it's done something. A big it's, event, yeah. And also, it's taken somehow root. Like the, mm. it's found, um, it's found a critical mass of people who are willing to engage. Yeah. And and I don't think that's by accident. I think it's because we're looking to do something good. Mm. We're doing it in an honest way, and and the celebration of this culture is something that I don't think has really happened. I think mm. that's probably the case of a lot of migrant communities. Yeah. It's kind of, well, by default, you know, they might have certain foods or they might have certain festivals or what yes. have you, but there's no real deliberate effort to reconnect. Yeah. And that leaves you with a feeling of isolation, and I think it does give you a feeling of a certain kind of uncertainty. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do through this organisation mm. is to remove that uncertainty. Because as I said, I think in order to move forward, you mm. need to know where you came from. Yes. So that's that's what I think it's yeah. about. Had you been searching for that, I guess, group of people or that opportunity to, you know, uh, taking the trip obviously was the big kind of catalyst for what's happened since, but had you been searching for that experience for a while? Did you feel like you were lacking in that community yeah. here in Sydney you know, I, I know you have a lot of friends who are Egyptian, but were you were you really seeking that community to just take it to the next level? I think I was, and I think it comes down to childhood, mm. which is that the most, the loneliest you'll ever feel, I think, is maybe when you're a kid, you know? Yeah. There's a certain kind mm. of loneliness that accompanies childhood, which is unique, because in adolescence or adulthood you can... You can make some choices about mm. how you want to live. You know, you can go out and meet someone, or you can read something. Or you, yeah. you can articulate what you're going through, to say yeah. the least. But you can't do that as a child. And I think that was made no better by the the difficulty that my that my parents had communicating where they came from, mm. because it's very difficult for migrant parents to give their children um, a future mm. without some compromise. Especially, especially Arab cultures, which mm. are conservative cultures and yes. deeply religious cultures. So it makes it very difficult, for example, to, uh, to go out and meet people if you're told that there's, that, you know, if, if all that is ever spoken about in the house is, you know, be a good boy and girl, be mm. good, mm. you know. And, and the subtext there is don't touch a girl and don't look at a girl. <laughs> and, of course, it was worse for my sisters. Of mm-hmm. course, it was much worse for my sisters who, who really had to fight tooth and nail, you know, to get out. And, yep. in fact, my you know, Christine, my older sister, never fails to tell me how much of a pioneer she was. You know, oh. She said, that, well, you know, everything you have, <laughs> you should be grateful. I wasn't out allowed to see movies or what I'm sure she was, but, it, but they yes. had to know who she was with, yeah. right? And I guess also because you are the youngest, maybe your parents had kind of... And also I'm a boy. I'm a boy. boy. What's going to happen? Yeah, yeah. No one's going to judge. You know, just let him go. And and this, there's a TV show at the moment on Mm. Stan or Hulu if you're in America (laughs) called Rami, which is exactly Mm. this experience of an an Egyptian guy and his sister. Mm -hmm. And they ask him, you know, where are you going tonight? He's like, I'm going out. And then the sister says, hey, so I'm going to my friend, you know, Dahlia's place. I'm going to be there for three hours. This is their address. (laughs) And the parents, you know, have this Mm. big stink, you know, it's a big deal. Well, why are you going? You're out every night. What is this, a hotel? You treat us like we're a hotel. 
and then the brother waltzes in. He's like, okay, mom, I'm off. He's like, bye, Habibi. So that's it, you know. And so I do benefit from that, which is that's why I said at the beginning it's ideal to be yes. the boy. Yes. But nonetheless, what we're saying is mm. you get to a place where you ask, why do I feel so different? Mm. Why can Sean and Connor... <laughs> go to like you know Cronulla Beach, what yes. have you? And then when I go to Cronulla Beach, there is literally, literally a riot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so I mean, it wasn't that simple. No. But Alan Jones, his rhetoric certainly didn't help. And no. Alan Jones was this talking head, and still is, um, radio announcer, this kind of um, shock jock, as they're mm. called, who I think exacerbated the fear Very and really the, so. the villainization of Arab men in this country by saying we can say insight i think i think it's pretty comfortable to that's say. right no no yeah. it was yeah. racist it was yeah. racist and this whole thing that you know they're out to go and get you and mm. and the subtext is you know watch your girls mm. and keep your women in the house because you know the arabs are here yeah so that's horrible it was horrible, horrible. And, and i and i think i did get a sense of that i mean i was mm. called a terrorist once yeah hilariously i was called a terrorist by a chinese guy Oh. So I was like, dude, dude. We're, we're brothers, you know, like we are both. We've been through some we brothers. stuff. Yeah, and yet, oh. no. And so obviously that discourse wow. was there. That's really interesting. And then there was also that Because if you would have said that it would have been, you know, Tezza with his Southern Cross tattoo on his arms no, saying that to you, I, I probably would have went, of course. Well, that sounds about right. <laughs> that sounds about but right. But then also I went to a very fairly progressive school. I mm-hmm. went to a selective school in the Shire. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of, you know, let's talk about our feelings through art and this is why the Second World War was so important. And if if they weren't that interested, they mainly just went and played soccer. They didn't really, I mean, they mm. didn't they didn't pick up a knife. No. So thank you, Caring Baha'i, truly <laughs> one of the greatest schools in the country. Mrs Fowler, if you're Mrs. out there, Fowler. appreciation, you know. So the point is um, that that I was lucky that way, but mm. many people are not. And in any case, I did still get, even though I didn't get the very worst excesses of no. violence, I got that subtext of difference. The looks on the train, you know, the yes. the the murmuring behind my back, the the offhand gossip that I heard that mm. Daniel's only doing well in his class and getting all of these awards because he's Arab, and yeah. so they're trying to compensate yes. by treating him well, mm. said one of the mothers of my friends behind oh. my back, you know. So you get that. And so mm. that creates an environment where you feel, well, in fact, you... You, you feel incredibly you, ostracised. And, and you feel like that other. Yes. You can't articulate it, you don't know why. Yes. And then on the other... And so then also that maybe creates this feeling of, of, of fracture for some people where they're like, well, it's all I can do not mm. to be Arab, you know. I have to try and be more Australian. Yeah. And so... And so then they distanced themselves. Mm. But luckily for me, it went the other way, maybe because I grew up in a, in a fairly cosmopolitan school environment with so many different... There were a lot of white people, but yeah. there was also Asian kids and um, there were a few other Arabs. And anyway, because I read, you know, and so I knew a little bit about the world. The world is not just Menai, no. this <laughs> no. enclave of the Sutherland Shire. Absolutely you know, It not. is not just that. <laughs> And so I was able to say, well, what can I do with this? How can I take it somewhere? And for mm. me, it was exciting. Also, I went on a trip to Egypt at the end of high school, and I oh, think that okay. did something for me. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's amazing yeah. that you've had a couple of experiences going back to the motherland, as you said. Um, I want to ask you, when people ask you about Egypt and when they ask you about being Egyptian <clears throat> or Egyptian-Australian, what are some of the things that you like to tell them yeah 
You know, because I think sometimes, sorry to cut you off, but I think sometimes maybe people ask those questions with an idea in their mind of what you may say or what they think you may say. Sure. But then you might completely dispel certain myths or just things that you're proud to say when people ask you about Egypt. Once we've disqualified me not being Indian or possibly <laughs> South, where are you, Italian? Like, where are you from? I have gotten Italian. No, like, really, where are you from? Yes, which, as the comedian Matt O'Kine once said, is really code for why are you brown? Yes. So 100%. I don't know why. But, but anyway, mm. um, well, well, I think there are a couple of superficial things that you have to talk about in passing, otherwise the conversation doesn't go anywhere. Mm. Like, what's the food like? Because that's really what people are interested in. People are really interested people in love food. food. And, hey, you know, so I have seen the Anglo food. Mm. There are only so many times you can so have that many, many vegetables so many, with that you know, much meat, you know, yes. on one... Well, that much meat with that mm. many vegetables is what yes. I should... Yeah. And that same yes. brown sauce, you know? Yes. So It's very samey, same. So I can see. And, yes. and, you know, I feel sorry. You can understand people's... You know, um, interest. That's in, right. The fascination, the, with fascination the with the it. exotic. Yes. And of course, there's you know Aladdin, yeah, Lawrence yes. of Arabia. Mm. So these all do something. These all create a sense of um, the the novel, mm. and and they and they do create a kind of appeal that I think people are interested in when they think of the Middle East as yes. this this land. But then, but then the corollary of that is nine eleven. Yes. The Iraq War, mm. the Gulf War, mm. and a very well, d- deliberate racist discourse mm-hmm. in the media. True Lies, for example, the kind of movies that I grew up on a diet of, American action yeah. flicks, upon reflection and even in the moment, made me, I'm sure I was taken aback. Yeah. Or to say the least, I should have been. I should have been when I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger mowing down like a multitude of Arabs as, as though it's a video game, yeah. you know, and that these men have nothing mm. uh, to show for themselves other than a patriarchal ideology mm. and, and bloodlust and a yes. desire to kill. Yes. And so that, that and that's pervasive across yeah. the, the American media. Even the opening theme song to Aladdin, the cartoon, which was cut from the movie. Yeah. I As I you, may have brought to your attention, yes, once, you did a few over, coffee, ago, over coffee, over one coffee, day, somebody drinking a and latte. And I looked up the, the lyrics, yes. and it's it's really yeah. There's bad. a line that says they'll cut off your arm, but it's home. Mm. Arabian nights, Arabian days. Yeah. That's a lot to take in. Yeah. So there is this as well. But but the point is, if you can if you can reconnect to some sense that there is a valid, authentic, sophisticated Mm. cultural tradition at play here of thousands of years Mm. in development, then what you have to show for it is something really wonderful. So I don't don't necessarily start with, well, it all started with (laughs) Hatshepsut in the 4th century, the first (laughs) female pharaoh. That's going to quickly lose. No, no, no. No, but I think about what we have Mm. to... So what we are is we're a culture who... We're a culture of hospitality yes. and incredible warmth and generosity. And that's ubiquitous across the Middle East. Mm. But it's true that, you know, the, the the level of being taken care of that you get in an Arab house is unparalleled. Yes. Even if you're an enemy, even if you're an mm. enemy, and maybe the, in these, this era maybe the idea of an enemy is not so obvious. But yeah. even someone who necessarily, you know, necessarily like, mm. but who comes to your home for refuge, mm-hmm. there is... Um, something in the culture, something almost, I think maybe, um, I don't, maybe biological, but mm. the point is something deep that says you have to take care of this person, and it begins with like a cup of tea or something to drink, and then it's the the, the lavish way that you're treated. Mm. Now I don't want people, 
to hear this and then go into an Arab house and like, <laughs> bring me the, the baklava, bring yeah. me the baklava, <laughs> as though they're expecting it. Yes. But there is something about warmth and hospitality yeah. that is that, that is real. Mm. That is real. Yes. I hope I haven't exaggerated in any way, no, but I think there no. is something about it that's real. That's one thing. Another thing is that to be an Egyptian, to be an Arab, is to be um, a religious person in the main. Mm-hmm. Now I take a sip. Yes. He is taking a sip, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <coughs> no, but I mean, I think that's true, whether you're Muslim mm. or you're Christian. And in fact, there was also um, a community of Jews in Egypt up until yeah. the creation of Israel, at which point, understandably, they left. <laughs> but, um, they, you know, it was tense in the mm. last few years. But there are religious people, and then there are religious people in a way that the society permits mm-hmm. and fosters. Mm-hmm. Not here in the West, in a more secular space where religion is something that is reserved for Sunday, possibly Friday, mm. or holidays, but not really celebrated in any. For example, a lot of my Coptic friends. Yes. I'm Egyptian Catholic, not not Egyptian Orthodox, but nonetheless, all Egyptian Christians, and certainly the the Orthodox, there are days of abstinence you know Mm. like for a lot of the year Mm. they will not eat meat for example Mm. they won't eat meat for the 40 days or 50 days before easter yeah lent and they won't eat meat for the few weeks before christmas advent and they have other you know intermittent fasts throughout the year intermittent fasting before it was cool we were intermittent Uh, fasting since like the first century you know not just in an active way no not just (laughs) not in a lorna jane way um so more in a saint, mm, you know, yes. cross kind of a way. Yes. So anyway, there's that. Um, and that's also, you know, that's common in the Muslim community. You know, with uh, with Muslim friends, you will find there is a lot of the year where they cannot be eating with you yeah. and even water is not allowed and you should not be asking things. Like, even water, you should not be doing that. Yeah. That does not help. So so I there's that. To curb that no, you, I know that I, you know, maybe a few years ago would have been like, you can't have water. Yeah, yeah. Now it's like, no, just, yeah. just nod and... Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're not going to change Ramadan. No, it's going to be that way for a while. So anyway, so there are religious people. Mm. There, are, there are people who prize themselves on a certain, pride themselves rather on a generosity of spirit and warmth. I also think, and this is all children of migrants, but certainly Arabs uh, are an ambitious people. Mm. And I think that has something to do with the deprivation that their parents, certainly my parents, had to go through in order to win for me the the opportunities that I now have. I mean, just the idea of going to an office job and being comfortable is enough to bring my mother pleasure. Even when I said to her, you know, what what if I want to move on to another job hypothetically one day or what, what are my other career options? career options you know like she's she wants me to do well but you've made it you've made it and this is an achievement so we pride ourselves on the idea of achievement and it's something that I was told you know you've already finished your homework is something that I would hear often and then be forced to redo it yeah under my dad's watchful eye we all the tutoring programs yeah all through my adolescence I was forced to go to swarthy men usually out of some, you know, garage operation. They weren't declaring tax, you know. And if I got the answer wrong, you know, in, in I don't know, Pythagoras theorem or what have you, he would literally slap me with a ruler and say, donkey, do it again. Oh. And then I remember one day the wife came in and she also called me a donkey. So it's the point is it's, it's part of the culture is this, mm. this, um, this love of excellence, you yes. know. And so, yes, these are some things that I would say to people. But then also very humble like, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know too many people who are 
Egyptian Australian. I have a few friends who are Lebanese. I guess if we're talking broader, the Arabic kind of experience. Yeah, they're similar. There are similarities. Um, very humble people. So even though there's that, you know, strive for excellence, I, I would never find after the fact that it's kind of like, you know, I'm awesome and it's a, a more arrogant um, behavior. I, I would think that, you know, yourself, knowing you personally, I would say you are very humble even though I know that you are ambitious in your own way and you, you do want to be successful. Sure, I am wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I am wonderful. That's what you took away from that. So that's, uh, that, uh, listen, I thank you very much for that compliment. That's very kind. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, maybe that has something to do with having lived through difficulty. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw how hard my parents worked yes. and my dad, you know, it's true that he woke up before the crack of dawn and came home long after the sunset yeah. for years, for 10 years, yeah. and I didn't see him. Mm. So I knew the cost. And um, I heard stories as well. You know, I heard stories, for example, about how my dad's uncle, or rather my dad's brother, my uncle, ran back to the house and found it in ruins, you know, in Port Sayed, and they only found, like, my, my auntie's slipper. So I know, so I get a sense that, I, that people have paid for me. Yes. People have paid for me to be here. I have to take stock of that, mm. and that yeah, I think that makes you a kind of. Uh, I think that makes you a, a modest person yes. because because you're aware of sacrifice, how much it takes. You know, I have it's. I, I haven't had anything handed to me, and it hasn't been easy. No. So so maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, so we're coming to the end of the podcast, which is a little bit sad because I think we could talk all day. I could. I'm very happy here. Husky voice. <laughs> Um, so we like to sum up just, you know, how you love the shit out of your heritage. Mm. You can do it in a sentence. You can do it in one word. Bit of a paragraph situation. <laughs> a limerick. <laughs> um, but how would you sum up how you love the shit? Mm, listen, I have to say I find these these kind of... It's hard. I know these challenges, yes. As a writer as well, it's very hard when people say, can you just put that in 30 words or less? It's like, it's like Twitter. Twitter's very hard, I think. For me. Yes, because I waffle. Sure, yeah, I'm sure it's very difficult for you. Yes, yeah, because always after the end of the tweet, I want to say, however... More than 120. However, on the other hand, there's no other hand on there's Twitter. always a thread. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess what I would say about how I love, how I love being, um, how I love my culture and celebrate that is that I'm not, I try not to be embarrassed about it mm. because there are, because I am different to other people in this or certainly to Anglos mm. in this society, I'm different. Sometimes those differences can be a little embarrassing. For example, <laughs> uh, my parents call me on the regs mm. when I am out. I wear a singlet under all of my clothing because we have a saying that if you don't, there will be you will get sweaty and then the wind mm. will and then you'll get a cold. <laughs> and that in Arabic is lafithawa, which is slap of the wind. So <laughs> Anyway, mum says to me, be careful, you get the slap of the wind. Mm. So you know, there are certain things like, I don't know, maybe slightly hokey kind of mm. traditions that, or, or, or habits that I have, but I, I'm not embarrassed of those. So the way that I love my culture is, I, you know, I, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my culture and I try and let that show. I, you know what, my mum is a big advocate of the singlet under, like, the shirt or the... That's right. used to say that all the time, like, you'll catch a cold. It makes good sense. So I do it from time to time. So, you know, I'm with you on that. Thanks, Al. Um, <laughs> and finally, what are some of the other things that you love the shit out of? Going just in general? To, just in general. It can be anything. Well, I love a good meal. And, in fact, a colleague of ours, a mutual friend, mm. as I was walking back to my desk at about three in the afternoon, mm. 
toasty in hand, said to me, oh, you're having another meal. <laughs> it's a classic. With a tone of judgment. Mm. But, um, yes, I love food and I think that may also stem from the very good food that I've been brought up on, yes. which may account for the chunky years <laughs> which elapsed between maybe 5 and 15. Um, there is that. Well, other things I love is, uh, well, I love family, you know, I love family with all of the very tedious resentments that come, that, you know, that come with that, but I do love them. I love my friends, you know. I don't know, things that I love, I'm trying more and more to love very simple things, you know, like, as I said, the prospect of something really nice to eat or a really lovely walk, you know, I've been, especially now in Sydney as the weather's warming up and here in the west we are surrounded by, you know, really lovely um, walking trails and bushland and rivers and lakes and so this is really nice. I'm also, I've been reading a lot, I've been reading Toni Morrison a lot lately, I just finished Song of Solomon and now I'm starting Sula. And so she's just such a beautiful writer. I mean, her words are almost like eating a really nice meal, you know. Um, and so there's that. And um, as always, and maybe chief among these, is I love a good nap. Well, thank you, Daniel, for being on the podcast today. And I have actually learned a great deal about you. And I hope that our listeners get um, as much out of the experience as I did today. So thank you again. Sal, it was a pleasure. And I can't wait to see it and hear it and then share it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for loving the shit out of life with me. Don't forget to like the How to Love the Shit Out of Life Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. And if you don't already have a copy of How to Love the Shit Out of Life, the book, you can purchase it now through most major bookstores. Till next time.